I want to welcome you this morning. Um, turn your eyes upon Jesus. We're going to talk about that today, though, Jesus calling himself the way, the truth, and the life. He says that no one comes to the Father but through him. I want to welcome you this morning. I hope that you hear the message today. Um, if, you're not, if you're not a person that comes to church a lot, maybe you hear the message today and you're like, this is just what I thought church was like. They're judgmental. They think, oh, they're just saying these, you know, they're just beating me down and trying to, that's not the point. We are called to be messengers of God's word. We just speak what's in the word. Um, it's not a judgment call on our behalf um, against you, who you are, what you do, or how you think. Um, there's a, it says it's appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. Every one of us must stand before the Father at some t- at, on some future day and, um, and explain ourselves to him. Uh, me and uh, Dave and my man Keith over there, glad to have you back, Keith. We love you, man. We all missed you. Hope everybody gives Keith a hug and a kiss wherever you can stand to kiss him at. Not on a beard, though. It's going to scrape it. But <laughs> right hand of fellowship. How about that one? Well, we went to uh, Bonnaroo over the weekend, a big event, and I heard that there was a death there yesterday, 27-year-old uh, guy. Um, I've never, uh, just to give you the quick and dirty on it, um, I've never seen that much nudity, truly, just straight-up lascivious nudity in one place. I've been to a lot of places where there was great poverty, and there was nudity due to, due to poverty, like, the, like Peru in the jungle or the Philippines back in the day, 25 years ago, 30 years ago when I was there. But that's, you know, insufficient dress because you don't have clothes is one thing. This was just lasciviousness and, and you know, just immorality. And it was to the point that um, it's shocking when you first see it, but then you see so much of it that you're just like, you're able to talk to the people and that sort of thing without kind of getting wrapped up in lustful thoughts just because it's so much. You're like, my goodness, how could it be that much of this in one place? Um, uh, it would be an excellent ministry for the women of our church. I would say it was like five to one, <clears throat> excuse me, girls to guys. And of the guys, a lot of the guys that we saw were, were homosexual guys. So I, I really, uh, it would be a great women's ministry. And they said we could start signing up next year, Miss Lori, uh, around February. I know you kind of mentioned that you might want to go and some other gals, we might mention it again. So we can get you signed up. Um, they, they, the girls seem to really listen to the ladies, um, um, kind of looked at them as mother figures, grandmother figures. I mean, they're all the oldest. The oldest ones I met were in their early 20s, and everybody's essentially unmarried. So it's a good opportunity for ministry there. And like I said, the issues of life are no different from them, for them than they are for us. They were just wearing their sin on the outside. A lot of times we're really good at concealing our sin. They just they were just out with it, you know, uh, and proud of it. First uh, Corinthians 10:7 is talking about. Uh, I'm just going to read it to you, but it's talking about what happened back in Exodus. It says the people sat down to eat and they rose up to play. And that's exactly what I saw there. It was speaking of idolatry and how they just, and that's basically what we saw there. We saw idols of sorts. They had big statues of different things and um, a lot of drug paraphernalia and different things. If it was not just the idolatry of their sexuality and their freedom to, to do whatever they wanted to do. But they sat down to eat and they rose up to play. And by playing, it means every kind of lasciviousness. Um, dancing, partying, whatever you want to say there. But the sentences I, I kept hearing from them usually began with something like, this event is so non-judgmental. Uh, everyone is so tolerant. And that's what I think Christ is really like. He just came to serve the people. That's what they would say about us in the tent. You're so tolerant. You're so loving. You're so kind. And what they were doing was they are kind of setting it up so that if you did say anything that was offensive to them, they could be like, oh, wow, you're really judgmental. But it's not, it's not I who judge, but it's God who judges. He's going to judge us all. The Bible says the quick and the dead. 
Um, we did serve them. We did speak the gospel to them. We did listen to what they had going on. And we did try to reach them where they were at. And that's what we're called to do is to go into the world. Uh, one man told me, he says, well, I don't even think you should be there doing that kind of work because, um, you know, just look what's going into your eyes or what you're hearing or whatever. The problem is, is that you got to go where the sinners are, man. Um, they're not going to come over here and run into church. So you got to go where they are. In the, in the book of Corinthians, um, they had the same issues of sorts. Uh, the the, the the slang was to Corinthianize. It was basically to Bonnaruanize. <laughs> it was the same thing. It was just lascivious living, um, a lot of prostitution, a lot of pornography, and that kind of thing. And so, I mean, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I've been reading uh, Pilgrim's Progress, and I, um, I, I sent it out as an email that you can uh, read it day by day if you want to, along with a commentary. And if you didn't get that and you want it, I'll send it to you. It is a hard read. The commentary that goes with it, if you get the one online, uh, helps you to understand that quite a bit, but what what John Bunyan was writing down and the people that he encountered in that era, I mean, we're talking 350 years ago, is just like the people today. The people that wanted to live their own life, do their own thing, you know, have their own existence, and not have anyone judge them in it. They just wanted to live like they wanted to live. But the Bible says, and I started off with that verse that that um, Jesus, in speaking of Himself. He says that he is the only way, the only truth, the only life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. People say, well, maybe I could get to heaven another way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Um, mankind hasn't changed. His excuses for following his own way hasn't changed. They're the same. I mean, I'm reading that when John Bunyan, it's the same, it's the same story. It hasn't changed. Anyway, it kind of just made me think, as I went to that event, that ignorance, arrogance, pride, selfishness, wantonness, lust, materialism, and every other kind of vice, it runs as rampant today as it did in Bunyan's day, as it did in Christ's day, as it did in Moses' day, as it did in David's day, as if you keep going back to Noah's day, if you went back to Adam's day, it's the same thing. We want to do what we want to do. And the Bible says over and over that uh, there comes a point as the nation begins to fall, it says that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's what we saw at Bonnaroo. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Dave and I were talking about it. And a lot of them, you know, would never dress the way they were dressed or talk the way they were talking back at home. But, we're, but if you ask them, they're like, well, this is who I really feel like I really am. But if it really was who you felt like you really are, wouldn't you be bold enough to live that at home as well? I mean, they know that they're pushing the envelope. They know that they feel freedom to act that way because everyone else is acting that way, that kind of thing. So anyway, so everyone does what they're right, what's right in their own eyes. And, um, and the only thing that happened that may have changed you, if you would call yourself a Christian, is at some point an evangelist came by, someone that came by and presented the gospel to you, the fact that you were a sinner, the fact that you couldn't save yourself, the fact that someone had to go between you and God the Father in order for you to be reconciled with him. And that person was the form of Christ when he came down as God, became a man, died on the cross on our behalf, an innocent man without sin, died, was buried, rose again the third day, and sits today at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. If someone hadn't revealed that to you, you would be as lost as they were. You would be as uh, looking for those excuses just like they are. And, and maybe you are still doing that in your life. Maybe that's what you are in your spirit. Maybe you're still looking for that answer. So I wanted to cover some of those things today 
so that maybe we could figure out what it means to be on the way. That was what they called the gospel. That's what they called followers of Christ. They were of the way. That was what they were called before they were Christians. Christians was a slight. It was, um, if, you know, if you wanted to dog somebody, oh, what are you, a Christian? I mean, it's still kind of a slight, really, when I said it like that, I was thinking about that. If you come off with some moral quip, somebody will say, oh, what are you, a Christian? Oh, you a church boy, uh, church boy, church man, whatever. So it says about the, the way, the first thing it says, the Bible says, is that the way is narrow. If you go to 2 Timothy, we're going to be in First and 2 Timothy, jumping back and forth between those a lot. So that'd be probably the easiest place to go and just kind of hang out is uh, 1st and 2nd Timothy. They're, they're really small books. You get from one to other real easy. So the first thing that we need to know about the way, the way of life, is that it's a narrow way. 2nd Timothy 2, verse 19, it says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, having this inscription, The Lord knows who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord must turn away from unrighteousness. And again in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the road that leads to life and few that find it. So wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Anybody, I mean, you can fall out of bed in the morning and be on the, on the road that leads to destruction. But the narrow way is a hard way to discover and to stay on. Uh, there's a scripture, and it's in Jeremiah 18. You can go and read it if you want. It talks about... We think about uh, those that have heard the Bible talked about some. You heard about the potter and the clay and all that. Um, this, in Jeremiah 18, there's a lump of clay that says to the potter, I'm going to live the way I want to live. And it's different from the potter and the clay in Isaiah 64. In Isaiah 64, the, the clay recognizes that the potter molds it and makes it into the, the suitable um, thing worthy of use, makes it into a pot, makes it into a pitcher, makes it into a cup or a bowl. But the, the clay that molds itself, it loses its function, it loses its purpose. One of the lies we've been told since the dawn of time, all mankind have been told this, is that there's a number of ways to heaven or to God. And we as natural people, we try to cling to statements like that because it justifies our existence. If we can do that, we can feel like we at least got a chance to do more good than bad, and by the time we get to the uh, you know, the pearly gates or whatever, maybe some thing will happen and we'll pull off some heroic action and God will be like, well, enter in, man. You did a great job right there at the end, man. You pulled it out. And, uh, or worst case scenario, maybe we think that there's no afterlife whatsoever. You know, maybe which, when you die, that's just all there is. There's just blackness. And, 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 I mean, that would be better than the other option, which is uh, what the Bible also talks about, which is the fiery pit or hell. So, yeah. Jesus talks about the other option, but he says you would be cast into the outer darkness. And the outer darkness is this separation. It says there's gnashing of teeth, and there's screaming, and there's burning. It says where the worm never dies. You just, you're still alive. You're just miserable. But you're miserable in a way that you want to be. You're miserable in a way because you want to be separated from God. But when you remove God from the equation of mankind, all you get is misery. There's few things in life that have more than one correct way to achieve it. I mean, I don't know. I was trying to come up with something where there was like more than one. I mean, with math, there's, more, there's only one right answer. Two plus two always equals four. You can say it equals something else, but you, you're lying to yourself. It's not true. It always equals four. 
or one plus one or five plus three or or any any amount of algebra or or calculus or even if you get into those uh, big time sciences there's a right answer and there's a right way to get there but we try to say in 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 every other thing now people are saying that there's no such thing as truth but there is this one girl she told me that that the main thing about this was it's not judgmental. It's not judgmental. That's what I like about Bonnaroo. She goes, I go to 12 of these um, fiesta, uh, uh, what am I thinking, looking for? Festivals. I was going to say fiestas. Festivals a year. And uh, I was like, 12 a year? Dang. And it's, you know, this one was $500, some $300, some $200, whatever. That's what I spend my money on. I go to all these things. I said, yeah. And she goes, but I like it. There's no judgment here. You just dress how you want or whatever and act how you want. Take what you want. And I said, I said, I don't know a whole lot about these, but I, I've heard of Coachella before. I said, what about Coachella? You ever been to that one? You know, I was just trying to make conversation with a girl. Oh, no, those people, they're so uppity, and they're all taking selfies of themselves. I'm like, that sounds like judgment to me. Are you judging those people? Because you just told me there was no judgment, but you're too good to go to Coachella, or they're too good for you or something. I mean, th- that's the thing. Those arguments always fall apart because as people, we have a mind that's capable of critical thought. When you have a mind that's capable of critical thought, then you analyze things and you evaluate things and you know that in all cases there is always truth and there's always falsehood. People like to say there's a gray area. But in most things, generally, if you want it to be successful, you got to stay away from the gray area. If they built a car and they worked on the thing from start to finish in the gray area, you wouldn't have much of a car. If they built a house and if you build your life, you're not going to have much of a life if you build it on the gray area. It's just not going to be successful. That's just how it is. So you might be able to sneak in a movie theater through the back door, but you ain't sneaking in the back door of heaven. There is one way, and Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. The Bible also says that there is a way that seems right unto them. Uh, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. So there's man's way, which is the wrong way. It leads to death. And there's a right way which is the narrow way that leads to life. And the Bible actually says that it leads to life and life more abundant. So if you get on the right way, on the narrow way, it actually leads to the abundant life that you're looking for, the satisfaction, the fulfillment that you're actually looking for. And it's given in the Word. It's either revealed to you by the Word or an evangelist or a preacher or your mother or whatever. However, it's a friend. Someone tells you about the way. And the trick is to be soft enough in your heart to grab onto it when you hear it. Because the Bible says, seek the Lord while he may still be found. It also says that today is the day of your salvation. So there's a day to enter the way. There's a specific time for you to enter the way. But like all things, like all opportunities, there was a time when they ran out of tickets to get into Bonnaroo. And after that moment had passed, you ain't getting into Bonnaroo. It's the same thing. Those same rules apply to everything, but when it comes to God, we say, well, he's a compassionate God, he's a merciful God, God is love. The Bible does say that. But the Bible also says that God is wrath. The Bible also says that God is judgment and justice and righteousness and perfection and immutable, which means unchanging. So any good judge would have to look at us as people and say, you failed here, you failed here, you failed here, and you would have to look at yourself and say, yes, I did, yes, I did, yes, I did. And you say, okay, if you rob the bank and you're standing before the judge, there's a price you've got to pay. 
what's the cost? The cost is jail or hanging back in the day or whatever. So the cost is death. And the only thing that saves us, the only thing that comes between us and the righteous judge who's perfect is the mediator, Christ. And Christ is like the mediator, same word, lawyer, abrogator. He's the only one that can change the law. He wrote the law. He can change the law. And he stands up before God, between you and God, and he says, this man has accepted my witness on his behalf, put me in jail instead. And that's what God did on the cross. He took Christ. He put him on the cross. He poured out all of his wrath that was due you and me. 100% he poured it out on Christ. Christ suffered in our place for the things that we were justly due to serve. The, the sentence that we should have served, he served for us. He took it for us. So we must grab on to Christ. The next thing is, so the first thing is the way is narrow. The next is, the way is built by the patriarchs, the prophets, Christ, and the apostles. If you go to Hebrews, I got it here if you, if you don't want to turn. Um, Hebrews, well, I say I did, but I lost my spot. Here it is. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, lay us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so ensnares us, and runs with, run with endurance the race that was set before us, keeping our eyes upon Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the Father. I've read you the wrong verse. I'm going to try it again. Let's try Hebrews 1. That's a good verse, though. We should might come back to that one. That's solid. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. He, speaking of Christ, is the radiance of his glory, God's glory, the exact representation of his name and his nature, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. And after making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the, uh, of the majesty on high. Speaking of Christ. So the first thing we see is that long ago, God spoke to people prior to us. They're called the fathers of the faith, the prophets, the apostles. He spoke to them. And you've got to dwell on that for a second. If I look at the Bible, there's something interesting that happens way back in Genesis. So these fathers that we're talking about, they begin in Genesis. You've got Noah, you've got Abraham, you've got Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, um, Job, Samuel. I mean, you can go through pretty much all the books of the Bible, look at the name of the book, and know that they're one of our fathers. They're one of the ones that wrote down as the Spirit spoke to them. Second Peter 1, look that one up there, Jed. Second Peter 1, uh, verse 21. And it talks again about how he spoke through the, through the patriarchs. We'll get to that in a second, but I want you to look at this in, uh, in Genesis. Genesis has this real interesting statement. Over and over it says, as it talks about these patriarchs, it says, and these are the generations of Adam. These are the generations of Noah. These are the generations of Cain. These are the generations, and it goes on that way, all the way through all these old guys. But what happened before Adam? If you look at God's word in Genesis, and you go to the first two and a half chapters of Genesis, 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 Genesis you go there, you will see that the only person, the only personality that it was in existence was God. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And when it gets done with the creation story, it says, and God saw all that he had made, and it was good. And then it mentions mankind, and he says again, and God saw all that he's made, man and woman in his image, in the image of man he created them, and it was very good. It was very good. So the writer of the first two chapters was not a man, because there was no man there. It was God. And he put it in such a way that he passed it to Adam, who passed it to Seth, who passed it to whoever, to Methuselah, to Noah. Noah carries it on the ark. He passes it on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to Moses. Moses passes it on. Joshua judges, (laughs) passes it on. And each time, the word is added to, but it does not contradict itself. But here's the thing. Only... In the first two chapters, do you see the earth was very good? Now let me ask you this. When sin enters the picture, is it good? Is sin good? Is sin very good? Is death good? Because the Bible says that with sin comes death. There is no death before Genesis chapter 2. There's creation, and it's very good. And then man get in the picture, and it's very bad. That's where sin comes in. So God wrote it. When God wrote it, it was very good. After that, he works through men. You got that verse, Jed? Yes. Yell it out there loud. Second Peter two uh, one twenty one. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So you sit down, Joshua sits down, and he puts his pen to the paper and the Lord speaks through him. And that's why this is, a, this is a thing that's hard for people to understand. And they question God. Well, I mean, really, all these men, and they came from different backgrounds. Had the Bible doesn't contradict itself. He carries on the same thought process from Genesis 1, when it was very good, to Genesis 3, when man falls, and the sinfulness of man all through the Old Testament, the need for Christ in the New Testament, all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelations, when Christ returns and makes it right, just like when God made it good in the first place. Yes, he used men. Men wrote it down. But it was the Holy Spirit speaking through men. This is it. This is the book. This is God speaking to men. And this is how he wants us to know him. In the beginning, he created the universe and he said it was very good. We should give all honor and glory to God. The Bible says he sustains all things by his powerful word. Hebrews 2, 4 says, God also testified by signs and wonders various miracles and distributions of gift from the Holy Spirit according to his will. And he still works that way through us today. That's how the word is carried on to the next generation. Anyway, the more you read in Hebrews, the more you'll see references to those that that brought the scriptures to us. Just know that God used men to bring the scriptures to today. The next one is, so the first one was the way is narrow. The next one, the way is built by the patriarchs, prophets, Christ, and apostles. The next one is, the way is as straight as a rule can make it. Psalm 125.5 said, But as for those who turn aside to crooked ways, the Lord will banish them with the evildoers. And James 1.17 says, But with God there is no shadow of turning. God's way is straight, man's way is crooked. You know, even when Paul is struck blind on the road to Damascus, where does he tell him to go to find his sight? He tells him to go to a street called straight. It's about straight. There's a way to follow and we follow Christ, and it's a straight way. The, the thing about man is we like the crooked way. The crooked way is more fun. 
we question God and his word often, saying, he doesn't really, I mean, I mean, he knows what I am. He can't really expect me to live in this way. I mean, I say it myself. I'm not mocking you or judging you or any other thing. I do the same thing. Oh, I can worship God any way I want to worship God. It's not what his book says. I can worship God anywhere I want to worship God, not what his book says. I can speak to God any way I want to speak to God, not what his book says. It's not what he says. It's not what his son says. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What are his commandments? We talk about this all the time. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, if you know to do right and do not do it, it is sin. So if you know that it's right, you choose to do a different way anyway, it's sin. And we know that sin leads to death. So we can keep going back to that. Well, he's a forgiving God, isn't he? Yes, he is a forgiving God. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The idea being that we would begin to act righteously, not that we would continue in unrighteousness. He cleansed you from unrighteousness. Why do you keep going back to unrighteousness? You are cleansed from it. If you took a shower, you don't go outside and lay in the dog pen. You are cleansed from the dog pen, Warren. Go take a shower and stay out of the dog pen. Be clean. Every single function of humanity with rules that guide comes to correct conclusions. Even Monopoly has rules. Even Clue has rules there, Aubrey. Remember, Dad knew the rules and you didn't. It's got rules. If you obey the rules, you win the victory. Outside of trying to, and trying to do it in your own way, um, you just don't get the victory. And, in, and the Bible also says, and this is something that's very true, and, I, and I've realized that you can question this in yourself, but if you really think about this, the Bible says that in the New Testament era that God no longer just wrote the rules down, but he actually imprinted them on our hearts. I'm going to give you a new, a soft heart. I'm going to write the rules on my heart. The writing the rules on the heart means that you have a conscience. We call it our conscience. And so from the time you were a little kid, you knew the first time you stole something, you knew you had done wrong. You couldn't have said why you done wrong. It wasn't like mom and dad the first time they took you in the store said, now make sure you don't steal anything in here. But the first time you stole something in the store, you knew, you knew that you had done wrong because you hid it. And you tried to keep it from mom and dad that they, that they would know it. Speaking from experience here, people. You knew it was wrong. How did you know it was wrong? Because God wrote it on your heart. How did you know lying to your parents was wrong? Because God wrote it on your heart. How did you know talking back to your parents was wrong? You might have got away with it, but you knew it was wrong. How did you know? Because you knew it was wrong before your parents told you it was wrong. You knew you were supposed to share, didn't you, Aubrey? <laughs> you knew you were, but you didn't do it. It's on your heart. It's wrote on your heart. Now, we can overwrite that programming by continually sinning in the same things, doing the same thing. We can do that. And eventually it says that your heart becomes hardened. It's calloused. It gets a hard spot on it where you can't feel like you used to could feel. But that's on us. The law is there. We just have to apply it. You know what I'm saying? Don't, don't beat the messenger up. I promise you. You just think you've sinned in your life. I could take you to the next level of sinning. But... Um, you know what's right and wrong. Don't overpower your conscience. When you feel the Holy Spirit pricking your conscience, when you say the word that you regret saying, the moment you regret it, apologize then. 
Don't hold on to it and grow in bitterness towards that person or allow that person to grow in bitterness to you. Don't take things that aren't yours. Don't take your employer's time. That's stealing. Don't, don't do things behind the back of your spouse. Don't injure one another with the words that you say or the thoughts that you're thinking of them. Speak truth. Speak in love. Next one is, the way is the way a Christian must go. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. I'm going to look at it first, make sure I got the right one there. Yes. It's the way a Christian must go. The saying, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them. Verse 16, but I receive mercy because of this, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might demonstrate the utmost patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. 2 Timothy 2, 21. So if anyone talking about these unclean things... So if anyone purifies himself from these things, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Um, we read a moment ago that the Lord knew our names. The Lord knows those who are his. It's in verse 19 right there, in 2 verse 19, 2 Timothy 2, 19. He knows those are his. Everyone who names the name of the Lord must turn away from unrighteousness, uncleanness. Then we see in 21, if anyone purify, you maintain that cleanliness, that righteousness, he will be a special instrument set apart. That means set apart as holy. So we can be used by him even if, like me, you're the worst of sinners. It's not that I was the worst of sinners. I am today the worst of sinners. I still have immoral thoughts today. I still use words that I wish I could take back today. I still have anger today. I still think thoughts I shouldn't think and make actions I shouldn't do and speak words I shouldn't say today. But if I'm constantly in this renewal status of purification, confessing my sin, he's making me righteous, he's justifying, justified means to be just as if, so he sees Christ rather than me. He's sanctifying me. He's growing me spiritually day by day. I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. You don't have to be around me long to recognize that I'm not perfect. Ask my kids. Ask my wife. I'm not perfect. But I can be used. Isaiah 64, 8. Yet, Lord, you are our Father. We're the clay and you're the potter. We're the work of your hands. And I told you about Jeremiah 18. We can be moldable clay or we can be stubborn clay. What happens to stubborn clay? It ends up under the driveway with the rock on top of it. That's what they use for base layers. That's what they do with hard things. They either crush it or they throw it out. If you want to be used by the Lord, you've got to be soft. You've got to be moldable. Our joy comes from being molded and formed into the man, of, man or woman of God that he can use for his glory. And we cry, and I mean, I, I know, I know myself, I can't speak for you, but I would say that most of you at some point has had this thought, you know, what is my purpose? Or if you've ever had that prayer of desperation, you're trying to figure out who you are, what you are, whatever. God, what do you want me to be? If you want me to be a missionary, you know, you know show me a picture of wherever I'm supposed to go. Or what's my purpose? And God's like, listen. And he just, he's gentle. Listen, relax, relax. Let me mold you. I'm going to use today 
to make you into something that you can be useful for in the future. I'm going to have you have experiences today. I'm going to harm you today. But what it's going to do is it's going to make you stronger so that in the future you can witness to another person about the harm that you've gone through today. I'm going to let these fallen things of the earth shape you, and it's going to injure you, and it's going to hurt you. Husbands and wives, you're newly married or long-term married, use these terrible words to speak to one another. I'm going to let you guys do that today so that when we heal that in you, when I heal that in you, God speaking, that in the future you can counsel other people that are going through the same thing. You say, hey, this is how it worked for me, and here's how God worked in my life. And then he changed me, and he molded me, and he made me. And he said, you're my workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. He prepared beforehand. He molded you in the past into a functional vessel that he can use in the future. That's Ephesians 2.10. So if that's the case, then we shouldn't be answering the Lord, I want to go my own way. But we should be saying, Lord, mold me and make me in a way that you can use me and I will be obedient to you. 1 Timothy 6. Go back to 1 Timothy one more time. 6, 11, and 12. Now you, man of God, run from these things, these worldly things, these lusts. It says temptations and foolish and harmful desires and all these different things, disagreements and so on. It says, now you, man of God, woman of God, run from these things. Pursue righteousness godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you are called and have made a good confession before many witnesses. Get a hold of yourself. Run from wickedness. Pursue righteousness. Hey, the only way you're getting righteous, I'm telling you, is if God puts it on you. And it, doesn't, it comes from his, uh, your obedience to his son and following his son. You follow Christ, you get his righteousness. But it says you have to pursue it. It's not, a, it's not an easy thing. It's a long-term um, work. But also, back on up there, 1 Timothy 6, verse 5, it says, um, I'm sorry, verse 6, it says, godliness with contentment is a great gain. First it talks about all the things that are negative, but then it says godliness with contentment is great, great, great gain. When we become godly, when we become more righteous, look at 4 verse 8. It's another one, very similar verse. It says, um, for the training of the... Uh, let me back up to verse 7. But have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness or discipline yourself in the King James for the purpose of godliness. That's how I memorized it. For the training of the body has a limited benefit, which is good because I ain't much on training the body, as you can tell. But godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The godliness that we grow in in this life has a benefit now, and it has a benefit in the future after you die. Mold me and make me useful as I obey you. The last one is on the way. There are many wrong ways that cross or veer from the right way. To veer means to like, you know, shoot off to one side. So you're going down the path, and there's paths that seemingly run parallel, but eventually cross, or seemingly run off of the way, the narrow way. And it's difficult sometimes for us to discern 
Um, there is a spiritual gift of discernment. And so when a person with the spiritual gift of discernment says, hey, man, you kind of seem like you're straying there a little bit, you should hear. But it's difficult for us to discern a lot of times what is the right way. First Timothy 4, 7, and 8, we just read it. But have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has a limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present and also for the life to come. There's going to be uh, heretical, if you want to use that word, apostate teachers that come in and out of our existence. If you listen to enough preaching, if you listen to me, if you listen to Jed or whatever, we're going to say things that aren't absolutely correct at times because we're fallen people. We strive to speak truth. We strive to speak correctly, but at times we goof up just like, just like you do. The Bible says to study to show thyself approved unto God. Each one of us should study the word ourselves and make sure you go back and you take this, what I've told you today, and you go back and you look it up for yourself and you say, is he telling me the truth? Is there another way? If I can look in the Bible and find another way, God bless you, go for it. But what is going to happen is it's going gonna, it's gonna to strike you like lightning that there is only one way. But that aside, look, follow up, seek, and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. There's going to be traditions that are followed because somebody told them to us in the past and we trusted that person or the church developed it over you know, 2,000 years so we got to do certain things at certain times a year or whatever. We've got to have communion a certain way or we've got to do whatever. Let's go back to the Word and study it for yourself and see if that's not the case. The, um, some of the things that we stumble in in this, in this veering and crossing of the way are just ignorance of our own part. It could be failure to study, but a lot of it is just the lust of the flesh that lead us away. We see over here, it seems like this guy's got the spiritual thing going on, but it seems like he's got a lot easier way. And you talk to him, he's like, oh, yeah, man. Uh, I'll give you a good example is the uh, so-called prosperity gospel. You know, if you believe in Christ and you do say these certain prayers, act a certain way, well, then everything's just going to go your way. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, physically well. You're not going to have any kind of sickness or any kind of sorrow. Nobody's going to die in your family, whatever. Man, that's not reasonable. Jesus was not a wealthy man. He said he didn't have a place to lay his head. Uh, he said even the animals had dens to hide in, but he didn't have a place to lay his head. He was on the run his entire existence. He had nothing. Paul was not a wealthy man. Peter, not a wealthy man. Timothy, not a wealthy man. Titus, not a wealthy They weren't wealthy men. I don't know where you get that thinking. Yes, the, uh, Christ does have the power to raise men from the dead. Yes, Christ has the power to heal men. And I pray that you have the spiritual gift of healing because uh, I may get sick down the road. But that doesn't mean that you're always going to be healed if you follow Christ. He's saying, follow me regardless of what happens. Hmm. Our only hope here, our only hope, and, and uh, here's what's going to happen. It's easily, we're easily led astray unless we go back to Hebrews 12. That was the reason I had Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, so I'm going to read it again to you. You already heard it once, so you ought to have it memorized. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. The only way we maintain our walk on the narrow way is by Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. This is a home run hit from Hebrews. Therefore, since we have so great a loud, uh, sorry, therefore, since we have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that's set before us. 
keeping our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured a cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of, the, of God's throne. First, we've got to remember, if we look at these two verses, what it means to walk the narrow way. The first thing it says is, we've got to recognize that there's a large crowd of witnesses observing us. Those that have brought the, the gospel to this point are observing us to see what we will do with it from here on. So, step one. Step two is lay down the encumbrances, the things that hinder us from running the race well. And those are the things that we try to hold on to in this earth. Those are the things where we get the hard spot in the clay, where we're going to just try to hold on to some material thing, some little idol, some bad habit, some way of speaking, some way of thinking that is counter to God and his word. If we try to continue to hold on to those things, it's going to get us off the path. We're not going to be able to focus well on the next thing it says, on, the, on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. These other things, it, these things, it says, are sins that easily ensnare us. These are those common things, to back up just a second, are those common things that day after day we struggle with. And day after day we pray and ask God to remove it from us. And day after day we go right back to it because it says it's the lust of the flesh. It's a thing that you bring on yourself because it's what you want. You're doing what you want to do. So in order to be freed from that, it says, we must keep our eyes on Jesus, the author, or in, in your translation may say the source and perfecter of our faith. He's the one. He's the identifier. He's the one that made it. He's it. We're to observe him. We're to run like he ran. We're to walk like he walked. We're to, he endured the cross. He says to us, take up your cross daily and follow me. When you take up the cross, it's a, it's a tool of discipline, a tool of punishment, and a tool of death you're not going to fit in in society all the time with the cross. But what you are going to have is you're going to have eternal life. <laughs> Dave whipped out his little string there at the thing with a piece of tape around it, you know. He's like, you know, here's life. And this little dot on this string is your life. Here's all of eternity, and here's this dot on this string, and that's you. And that's the truth. If you measure all of eternity and see how little a speck that we are in the big picture of eternity, then why are we so concerned about all the stuff that happens on this little dot, this little speck of our own personal life? When Christ says, I can give you life, this point that goes on to eternity, I can give you that, and I can give it to you in abundance. In fact, you're entitled to every bit of inheritance that I received, and I'm going to give it to you. You can have it. Anyway, so we've got to maintain our singular focus on Christ in order to maintain the way. I really had pity on those people at Bonnaroo. They really were seeking to fill some void in their life. It, it was obvious. I mean, that's why you do that stuff. I was young and whippersnappery once. I did similar things. But uh, the, the trick is, is that they're constantly, uh, they're, they're, they're going to fill it this weekend. It ends today, sometime today, maybe late this evening, I don't know. It ends today. So, so tomorrow... They're going to go back home, and they're going to have to figure out some way to fill that void of the thing, whatever the thing was. They were able to fill it this week, maybe with some drugs, alcohol, you know, wild living, dressing a certain way, maybe dancing, uh, just being around other people. But there's going to be a time where they're going to be separated from that. They're going to go back, and then maybe they can even dwell on that. Man, that was such a good time. I can't wait till I get to go do something like that again. And the problem is, is that a week goes by, two weeks, and then depression comes because they can't fill that spot anymore, and they can't figure out what it is they're even looking for to be filled with. And uh, 
I really felt a lot of pity for them as I talked to them. I don't know if you did, Dave, but as they left, I'm like, man. And they're young, and maybe they hear the word. I, I believe that we did spread the seed. That's what we're supposed to do. And some will use the, the word in different ways. They'll hear it. Maybe somebody else will water the seed down the road, and it'll sprout. I hope it does. But there was a lot of people that we didn't talk to there either. And they're all looking for the same thing. It's what we are as men. We are fallen, natural men. But God, just like he wrote his message on our heart, he put in us to find him. He's searching for us, and he reaches out his hand to us, and oftentimes we slap his hand away and keep going the, way of the, the wide way, the way of the world. Instead of grabbing the hand that leads to life, we really are due his justice. And we should thank him daily for his long-suffering and his mercy that he's bestowed on us so graciously. So today, while it's still today, I'm asking you to inspect your heart while you're here. It's interesting how things work. You come to a place, and maybe you weren't planning on hearing this message, and, and uh, maybe this is exactly like you thought church would be, where they just come and beat you up with the gospel, and, and they're just um, you know preaching hellfire and brimstone. Maybe that's what you thought, and maybe this is just sealed it in your mind. I, I can't come to church because they just beat you up. At least we didn't ask you for money. How about that? But you hear that and you're like, they're just beating me up. But the reality is, it ain't us. We're not beating you up. We're giving you the very word of life. And it's up to you to accept it or reject it. Every person has to make that decision. The Bible says that the fool in his heart says no, God. He knows there's a God. He just says no. I don't want that. I don't want it because I want to live my own life. So today, while it's still day, I want to offer you the opportunity to accept Christ today. To take everything that you are and all that you're wanting to be filled with and take it to the cross, recognizing that he died on your behalf today, while it's still day. Because when nighttime comes, once you leave here and the busyness of life takes over, you'll forget this moment where you came and you felt convicted in spirit of, man, I, am, I, th I think I am missing something. And I wish I, I wish I knew how to fill it. And these people, they kind of seem like they sound like they know what they're talking about. But I don't know. I'll, I'll wait. Uh, there was a, a paper about this lady who went to a lake, stubbed her toe in the, on a rock on the bottom of the lake. Stubbed her toe on the bottom of the lake. It got infected. Did you read that? It was on that don't stub your toe, Keith. Remember that? She stubbed her toe in a lake and died from an infection that got in her toe from stubbing her toe. A blood clot. That's what it was. Yeah. There you go. See, Keith reads. Uh, I mean, people die of the craziest stuff, and I'm telling you, she stubbed her toe, died of a blood clot. Listen, you don't know when your next breath is. Young people die all the time, old people die all the time. We don't know. But today, while it's still called today, make today the day that you accept Christ and, and, and allow him to lead you and mold you and make you into a usable thing for him. If you're a Christian today, you identify yourself as one, ensure that you're walking, watching your steps carefully as you stay on the narrow path, that you're not distracted by these things of the world and the things that would lead you away from taking others to the path of righteousness. Okay. We're going to um, pray. And I want to give you an opportunity. If, if today is the day of your salvation, I want to give you an opportunity at the, during the service or after you can come up and come sit in this front row and just wait 
and I'll talk to you afterwards. I'm not going to make you uh, sing a song, give a testimony, do a dance, nothing. But I want you to have the opportunity to have Christ fill that spot that you're missing. The Father wants reconciliation with you. If you didn't have a good Father in this life, I'm sorry. I didn't either. But the Holy and the Heavenly Father, He is not that way. He's a good Father. And He desires reconciliation with you. And the Bible says that at that point we cry out, Abba, Father. We will call Him not just Father, but Daddy. He wants that relationship with us. If you haven't had that before, I'm sorry. But today that can change and you can have a new relationship and a new heart created in you.